The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to cap off a down week on a high note as Wall Street eyes its longest weekly losing streak in three years. Futures slightly in the green. In Ukraine, the Russian offensive now in its 16th day, appearing to change tactics take on a new front in the war. From end fossil fuels to maybe drill baby drill, some in D.C. now weighing new ways to force American oil companies to try to pump more crude oil. Holy Hong Kong, big risk for some China tech stocks as one big market tanking overnight. Later, out of juice, why shares of this EV maker could use a charge as investors lose a lot of money. It is Friday, March 11th, this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for being with us. And why don't we hit your Friday money really on this two-year unofficial anniversary of the start of the pandemic, the day America stopped moving back in 2020. That was March 11th, of course. Right now, futures, they are in the green. Dow futures up 105. NASDAQ futures up 61. So only about a one-tenth of one percent rise. Green nonetheless, but not by much. All that coming off another one percent loss for the Nasdaq. It is now 19 percent off its record high set only back in November. For the Dow, it is down more than one percent on the week. It is on track for its fifth down week in a row. That would be its longest losing streak since May of 2019. It has not been all bad this week. The small cap Russell 2000 is actually higher by half a percent since Monday. We'll see if it can end the week in the green. In oil, crude oil is higher off the close, but keep in mind it is still well down from its $125 high that was hit on Tuesday intraday this week. Oil did fall slightly again on Thursday, but most of the oil and gas stocks actually rose yesterday. Remember they sort of usually trade together. So kind of an interesting disconnect between oil and oil stocks happening yesterday. Something to watch. We'll see if that will last. In crypto, slight losses across the board right now as all the major cryptos are down. But we have to show you this, and this will no doubt be your stock of the day. It is Rivian, the electric truck and SUV maker. Shares pounded again after hours. It is down more than 11%. It's been hit on disappointing numbers but also the company saying they will only deliver about 25,000 vehicles this year, well below expectations. It has been a brutal few months for Rivian investors. Remember, right after the red-hot IPO, it was the darling stock of Wall Street for a while, shares surged to $179. Now it is at 36 and change. Rivian has lost about 80% of its value only since November. Put another way, it has lost over $110 billion in market cap in just 120 days. We'll get more on this story straight ahead. 
In the meantime, though, it may have been a tough week here in the markets, but it's also been very tough overseas, particularly for one distinct group of stocks. Karen Cho is in our London newsroom covering two big stories for us this morning. That is Facebook and Google getting slapped with an EU antitrust probe into advertising. And in Asia, Chinese technology stocks absolutely getting clobbered. Karen, good morning. Good morning. There's so much going under the hood of these markets, but the dominant concern really has been around Ukraine, Russia. These markets are incredibly volatile, and even on some of the more upbeat sessions, don't forget early in the week we saw that surge of about 8% on the German stock market, the DAX, compensating for some of the red ink. Today we're in another upbeat session at this stage, although we did have a brief flash of red across some of these markets, uh, the French market in particular at one point, and we flatlined on the German stock market earlier in the session. So we're not done with the volatility, but we are enjoying a little bit more on the boards at this stage. Some of the sectors that are bouncing, beaten up areas, for instance, like travel and leisure, where, of course, the fuel headwind pricing action is something that's dominated the market concerns. You can see that area bouncing strongly. Commodities, again, very much in the mix, from oil and gas to basic resources. But there are still concerns clearly around areas where there are uh, assets that are exposed to Russia, namely the banking stocks, only modest gains there. I want to take you to Asian markets. They did struggle with the Hong Kong market losses. We've traveled to around five-and-a-half-year lows on that Hong Kong market. It is down 1.6% on the finish today. Also some concerns elsewhere, too. Uh, what we've got around uh, some of the big Chinese tech names that may be targeted in uh, a further dispute between Beijing and Washington. They need to provide access to their auditing. Otherwise, they could be delisted from the United States. So that's a big concern for some of the big tech names. Also, when it comes to Japan, Toyota has managed to pull back on some of its production levels for the next couple of months as it tries to to ease some of those supply constraints. Uh, the uh, Toyota stock, of course, a big one for the Japanese stock market that travelled south today. Meanwhile, you mentioned Meta and you mentioned Alphabet. Let's take a those, look at those stocks today. You can see the EU and UK have launched antitrust probes into Facebook, or as we call it Meta, and Google as they investigate whether the companies sought to fix prices around digital advertising. Now, both firms have defended that 2018 deal, which was codenamed Jedi Blue. Real geeky name for it. Back to you in the studio, Brian. Yeah, cute name, but uh, could be a tough outcome there. The Hong Kong Tech Index, worst day ever, down 9%. Karen Cho, thank you very much. All right, now to the war in Ukraine, now in its 16th day. In Moscow, launching a new assault on the already besieged southern city of Mariupol. That's just one day after its planes bombed a maternity hospital. Those harrowing images from the attack illustrating Russia's latest and newest strategy of targeting population centers and civilian targets. Also this morning, Russia reportedly expanding its attacks on Ukraine to points west with airstrikes hitting near airports near Ivanko-Frankivsk and Lutsk, far from the main fighting elsewhere in the country. In other words, they are expanding their front. This is new satellite photos from Ukraine appear to show that that massive Russian military convoy, initially believed to be bearing down on Kiev, is now redeployed in towns and forests outside of the city. Although much of that convo reportedly having logistical issues like getting stuck in the mud or running out of fuel. Meantime, here at home, President Biden reportedly set to announce the U.S. will join its major European allies in calling for the revocation of Russia's preferential trade status. That could lead to higher tariffs on Russian goods, things like vodka, caviar and more. President Biden set to give remarks at 10.15 a.m. Eastern Time today. All this, the Senate lawmakers passing a government funding bill late last night, 
It includes $13.5 billion in humanitarian and military aid for Ukraine. All right, now to your money with the major indexes on track for their fifth down week in a row. It is partly on the heels of yesterday's read on inflation, showing price gains at 40-year highs. And according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, that is a trend that is likely to continue. You know, we're likely to see another year in which 12-month inflation numbers remain very uncomfortably high. You know, the Federal Reserve is looking very carefully at this. They've indicated uh, that they intend to take actions to bring inflation down. And I have confidence in their ability to um, make a meaningful difference uh, going forward. All right. Joining us now is Digas Wright. He is chief investment officer at Decatur Capital Management and a CBC contributor. And Digas, I'm going to do something for you. It's Opportunity Friday. We love it. We love your ideas. I'm not going to ask you to wade into politics. I would not do that to anybody. You need a shower afterwards. But I will say this. The administration is sort of desperately trying to reframe the inflation debate as because of Putin's war in Ukraine, which, you know, obviously some of what we're seeing is related to that. But if it's related to that, Will Fed rate hikes matter? I mean, you can't have it both ways, because if it is related to the war, I'm not sure what the Federal Reserve is going to be able to do. Well, you know, one of the things you have to look at for the Federal Reserve, they have to be proactive. And one of the things by raising the interest rates, we're talking about 25 uh, bips uh, in March. I think that's reasonable for them to do because they have to do their part even though we do have a slowing of the economy slightly, but we still have inflation. We're still looking at about a 7 to 8% uh, growth over last year and inflation for various uh, things such as gas, um, labor, and other uh, items. So the Federal Reserve has to be proactive. And I think because they got a little bit behind before, I think it's wise from them or prudent to go ahead and start slowing down the economy even more because we still have inflation, even with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, got a little bit behind, Degas. I think you're being very, very generous there. And, you know, listen, I wish I had a crystal ball. Maybe you do. There's so much unsettled here in the United States with inflation, with supply chain, with all this other stuff that looking at the notes, and we like to call them Opportunity Fridays, you think that maybe our neighbors to the north, good old Canada, might provide maybe even a better investing opportunity than the U.S. right now. How come? Well, if you look at the Canada ETF, it is flat for the year to date. And then if you look at what companies are really working within Canada, let's look at uh, Canada National Railroad. Uh, They are the only railroad that actually connects Canada to the U.S. from coast to coast. And so that is something that's doing really well. If you look at what type of cargo uh, they haul. They haul about 20% of their revenue comes from grain and fertilizer, 20% from petroleum and chemicals, and about 12% from forest products. So they are doing really exceptionally well with their cash flow generation. They actually have raised their dividends, which is uh, almost around 2% now. They've raised that dividend for 26 consecutive years. So it's a solid company, and you can see that there's opportunities outside of the U.S., and that's one example. Also, I think you like the U.K. I don't know if do you like the entire, you know, England market, or is it more of a 
an AstraZeneca, just specific healthcare type name that is attracted to you, Degas? Okay, so what we want to look at here, if you look at the, once again, I'll refer to the UK ETF. It's basically down about 4%. So you do have other companies within the UK that are doing well. AstraZeneca is just one example. They have over 13 drugs that are doing exceptionally well. They have a deep pipeline and they have a strategic acquisition strategy that's helping them with their free cash flow. Once again, now this has a dividend yield, so you're going to get appreciation. It's up about 4% for the year and a dividend yield of about 3%. So once again, this is an example of looking outside of the U.S. and also looking outside of Europe for these types of opportunities. Yep. Right, and we have Opportunity Friday. We got Canadian National Rail, AstraZeneca, and Degas. I think you, you might be able to create some kind of monarchy ETF. Canada and the UK will start it. The ticker will be Queen or something like this. Degas Wright of Decatur. Degas, thanks for getting up early. Have a great Friday and a good weekend. Take care. Thank you, Brian. Back. Tim Cook speaking out over the rash of the new Don't Say Gay laws making their way through some state legislatures. Plus, a big swing at big oil. Now, some in Congress are trying to boost crude production by raising taxes. And later on, a live report from Lviv, Ukraine, as Russia extends its offensive to the West. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome and welcome back and good Friday morning. Let us get you up to speed on some of this morning's top corporate stories, including how one singer may soon join the billionaire business club. Bertha Coombs is here with those and more. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Brian. But let's begin with pressure on Hong Kong listed shares of dual listed Chinese companies, including JD.com, EV maker uh, Eno and Yum China. Shares plunging in overnight trading on fears of possible U.S. delistings. Yesterday, the SEC put out a new list of Chinese companies with U.S. listed ADRs that they say failed to adhere to U.S. accounting standards, grounds that could lead to a possible delisting. Apple CEO Tim Cook raising concerns over LGBTQ laws in the U.S. focused on younger Americans and those uh, so-called don't say gay uh, laws. Uh, 
In a tweet, Cook says, a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community, I am deeply concerned about laws being enacted across the country, particularly those focused on our vulnerable youth. I stand with them and the families, loved ones and allies who support them. Cook's comment comes the same week Florida lawmakers passed a Republican-backed bill prohibiting classroom discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity for many young students. And singer-turned-fashion mogul Rihanna is reportedly working with advisors on an IPO that could value her savage by Fenty lingerie company at $3 billion or more. That, according to Bloomberg. Savage uh, is reportedly working with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley on the offering, one that could happen as soon as this year. That will be a must-see IPO. Can you imagine the lines? And I've got to imagine that there is a huge bake-off right now between the NYSC and the NASDAQ for that one. You know, when you said bake-off, I was actually thinking of baking and like pastry products and like croissants because it's early and we're (laughs) hungry, Bertha. But yeah, she will join if if this occurs. I mean, think about the singers and actors who have now entered that billion-dollar club. They leverage their their fame and their social media profile to market directly to millions and millions of people. When are we getting to it's the Coom Sullivan. What are we going to make? We need a product. Bertha. Well, first we've got to get a singing career. Then we'd have to get a design career. That's a lot of side hustling. Sounds hard. And I can't sing. Bertha, thanks. <laughs> Cold water on the dreams. All right, folks, that's it for the show today. I'm kidding. All right, coming up, your weekly exclusive look at the biggest insider buys of the week. And this week, a nearly $20 million bet on a stock. That has already nearly doubled in the past year. Who's making that big bet? We'll tell you. But up next, Congress taking a bigger swing at big oil. But are they actually hurting themselves? Talk about it with Elon Moy coming up. Stick around. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Some in Congress are weighing a new strategy to try to bring down crude oil prices that have surged to multi-decade highs. And that is by going after the oil industry directly. Alon Moy joining us now with more. And Alon, what do we know? Now, Brian, Democrats want to hit big oil with a big tax in hopes of saving consumers some pain at the pump. 
A new proposal from Senator Sheldon Whitehouse and Congressman Ro Khanna takes aim at companies like Chevron, Shell, BP, EOG, Exxon and Occidental that produce or import more than 300,000 barrels a day. The big oil windfall profits tax takes the difference between current oil prices and pre-pandemic prices. It splits that in half. And then that number would be the amount of a new quarterly excise tax on every barrel of oil. And the money would be returned to consumers as a rebate. So if oil were $120 a barrel, Democrats estimate this would raise $45 billion a year and send 360 bucks back to families. In a statement, Senator Whitehouse said, we cannot allow the fossil fuel industry to once again collect a massive windfall by taking advantage of an international crisis. But Republicans are unlikely to go along with this. They argue the answer to rising prices isn't punishing oil companies, but increasing U.S. production. If we truly are talking about an all of the above energy policy, we certainly don't see it in the policies coming from this administration when they demonize certain segments of the American economy and the American energy sector. Now, President Biden warned oil companies not to gouge consumers, Brian. So this is Democrats' way of making sure that doesn't happen. Back to you. Oh, I've got so many questions, Alon. Number one is, I, I wonder, is there any example? I'm not putting you on the spot here because I, 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 no, no, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But is there? I wonder, not for you now, but somebody smart in, on Twitter or whatever. Is there any example of a tax lowering the price of something anywhere in in, in, in any industry? I, I just, I wonder if there is something that they can point to and say this worked in the past. So, therefore, it will work now. Um, and also, do they realize that the price of so, oil is largely not set by the oil companies? Yeah, so two points for you. There was a bill, um, actually a law, that uh, was passed at the end of the Carter administration in 1980 that would have taxed, that had a sort of a similar structure, would have taxed excess oil profits. The problem was, basically, as soon as that was implemented, uh, oil prices fell, and then the bill never raised, or the law never really raised much money. So this was tried before. But to your second point around bringing down prices, this actually isn't about the price of oil per se. It's about the profits that oil companies are bringing in. They say the goal goal of this bill is to make sure that consumers share in the profits that oil companies are taking in, whatever the price may be, and that it's not just all going to the company. This is sort of an answer to the debate over the gas tax that Democrats have been having. Some of the concern with the gas tax have been yeah. that money is going to every single consumer, no, ma no matter how much they make. This would just go to low-income households. Pulling out the 1979 playbook, uh, we'll, uh, I'm not sure how well it worked there, although you did see prices came down. Of course, we, we basically entered a recession and, and interest rates skyrocketed, so we'll see if that occurs. And, you know, Alon, watching this, this soap opera between Congress or members of Congress and the oil industry, it's put them in jail and fossil fuels. Now wondering, why aren't you producing more? Remember, this week, we kill the music, guys. I want to go ahead and just finish this thought with Alon. Thank you. Remember, this week was supposed to be the week that Congress brought the CEOs of oil companies to task over climate change. And, of course, the war happened and that got postponed. It could still happen. Let's not forget that. This is the week that a bunch of CEOs were going to go get their, their heads handed to them by Congress. And now kind of asking for help. It just seems, I don't know, odd. 
Yeah, and there certainly is debate within the Democratic Party about this, too. We heard, obviously, from the Energy, energy Secretary saying that the U.S. does need to increase domestic production in order to meet supply demands during this crisis moment. So, you know, Democrats are trying to figure out what is the best message here, both in terms of what do we do about the supply and then how do we help the consumer? Well, the best part is end the war. If they can help end the war somehow, if we can do that, that would help a lot. Elon Moy, thank you very much. Now that I'm in trouble with the staff. Hi, guys. Sorry about that. All right, as we head to break, an update on a story that we have been watching closely. Speaking of oil, the latest track of those seven ships still carrying Russian oil right here to America. Right now, three tankers in ports in New Jersey and New York. According to Marine Traffic with one, the Seoul Spirit, currently unloading its massive Russian oil cargo just outside of Philadelphia. It's going to leave soon. The other two still full of oil, ready to unload. One in New Jersey, one in New York. And the other four are in the Atlantic, currently steaming toward America with tens of millions of dollars in Russian oil on board. So Russian oil still being unloaded in the United States. Think about that. We're back after this. Russia's offensive taking a deadly new turn as Putin now starts targeting civilians and pushing west, a live report ahead. Janet Yellen targeted inflation, throwing cold water on the idea that Russia's break for the west bring it closer to China, but will markets care? We talk about needing a jumpstart, the colossal collapse of shares in Rivian, and why your new car may not hit your garage this year. It is Friday, March 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us on this busy day. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get right now to the markets and your money futures. They are slightly higher, not by a lot, but maybe up one or maybe two tenths of one percent for the major indexes. There Dow futures up 156, Nasdaq up one percent. But this is coming off another tough day and tough week for most of the major averages. The Nasdaq now 19 percent off its record high in November. The Dow, for its part, on track for its fifth down week in a row. That would make it the longest weekly losing streak since 2019. Bonds, they've been on the move. The 10-year yield moving back higher, just under 2%. In oil, crude is a bit higher off the close, but keep in mind it is still well down from its intraday peak of $125 a barrel earlier this week. It did fall slightly on Thursday, but here's what's interesting. Most oil and gas stocks rose. Of course, they usually trade together. Oil up, stocks up. Oil down, stocks down. They went the opposite direction yesterday. Kind of an interesting disconnect. See if that will last, if this continues to occur. And a big money mover to get to outside of Rivian, that is DocuSign. DocuSign shares down 18%. Earnings were okay, but the guidance was weak, and the market is absolutely punishing the stock. DocuSign, by the way, is 70% off its 52-week high. So been a tough month there, really a tough run for DocuSign and some of these, quote, reopened stocks. All right, now to the war, entering now its 16th day, and Putin launching a deadly new attack on the already besieged southern city of Mariupol. At just one day after its planes bombed a maternity hospital, Russia is reportedly expanding its front lines further to the west, with airstrikes hitting key airports in the region, trying to stop Ukraine's ability to fight back in the skies. In the meantime, new satellite photos appear to show that big Russian military convoy, initially believed to be bearing down on Kyiv, 
is now redeployed in towns and forests outside of the city, although also reportedly getting bogged down, sometimes literally in the mud and with bad morale among soldiers. Joining us now is NBC's Molly Hunter in Lviv. And Molly, a new story came out on NBC News just moments ago that Ukraine's defense minister says that Russian forces have now killed more civilians than Ukrainian military. This war has taken a very deadly new turn. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a horrifying headline. And no matter how many times Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov claims that Russian forces are not targeting civilians, we know they are. We have seen the photographs from Mariupol, that town that we have been talking about, that city, I should say, we have been talking about so much this week, Brian. That is where the maternity ward uh, was bombed. We know people were killed there. We've seen the evidence. We've spoken with people on the ground. I want to just run you through uh, the headlines starting in the northeast in Kiev. You mentioned uh, that convoy and the possible movement of that convoy. We have been tracking this convoy for the last two weeks, and it's remained mostly 15 miles outside the capital. It's 40 miles long. That is a lot of tanks. Well, now we understand that it has possibly dispersed, moved into the capital, according to a U.S. defense official, a senior U.S. Official, yes, official yesterday, excuse me, it may just be 10 miles outside of the capital. The other Russian claim this morning, Brian, is that they have captured Volnavaha. It is one of those southeastern cities on the Black Sea belt where Russian forces are trying to consolidate. Now, we have been talking a lot about Volnavaha. It has been blockaded. It has been besieged. The humanitarian situation inside is as dire as Mariupol. We have no confirmation from people in Volnavaha uh, or from the Ukrainian side that Russians have, in fact, taken that. Now, we heard from President Zelensky this morning. He is accusing Russia of targeting the humanitarian convoys heading to Mariupol that he keeps sending, even though they have yet to reach the city. And this morning, we do know there are about 12 more humanitarian corridors open. Brian, we haven't had any evidence, though, whether or not civilians have actually made it out of those 12 besieged areas. Brian? You know, Molly Hunter, you and so many other members of the media and the NBC team have been reporting from Lviv since this began. We know it's on the far western part of the, the nation with this push west. Uh, is there a risk that where you are, Lviv, which has really been the only place we're getting any kind of credible media information about the war, is Lviv in danger? Are they telling you that you and your crew may have to leave soon? Well, that has been the big uh, fear, of course, for the last two weeks, that the march from the east to the west is going to speed up. Of course, we have NBC's chief foreign correspondent reporting from Kiev, so we've been getting a lot of information from that direct capital region. But we are all the way over on the west. We have been hearing air raid sirens all morning, at least three in the last hour, Brian. There was one overnight. But these new bombing, uh, bombings excuse me, on western, more western targets, including a city called Lutsk, uh, it's near the Belarus border, certainly suggests that the Russians are starting to reach west. There is still a long, long way to go, though, from that eastern front line, still uh, kind of in that central part, central east part of the city, before they come to Lviv. But as you mentioned, this is the safe place. This is where people are evacuating from the east of the country and departing to get out of the country to safety. Brian? Yeah, and we are praying for everybody's safety, including yours and all the citizens, your crew, Molly Hunter. Thank you very much. All right, for more now on this and how the war may go and how maybe it will end, Ed Mills, Raymond James, Washington policy analyst, his team has been doing great work uh, on this for the last couple of weeks. Ed, uh, thanks for coming on. Read your latest note, always a must read with great interest. Um, there's been so much talk about finding sort of an elegant out for Putin, but 
As we dig in, as they're bombing and killing civilians, women and children, maybe more civilians, as we just said, killed in soldiers, does that reduce the likelihood that there is any kind of real out for Putin? I mean, he appears to be going in the exact opposite direction and digging in. Brian, I think that is a really important question, and I think it is about um, a debate in terms of pressure not only on Putin, but a pressure on Ukrainian officials and uh, President Zelensky. Um, I spent the week at the Raymond James uh, Institutional Conference uh, in Orlando, a thousand investors and management teams, and this was the number one question. Uh, what is Putin's endgame? Uh, and we have had crippling sanctions against him. And right now, uh, will he look to have an out uh, as his economy collapse? And or will he look to double down? Right now, he's doubling down. Um, but we have to see if any of these peace talks can negotiate something that can provide at least a near-term ceasefire uh, and to have an opportunity to live for another day. From a market perspective, I can tell you almost Everyone that I talk to is looking for any glimmer of hope, and there would be upside moves to the uh, up. But I do think this whole war has reignited a discussion about globalization and the risk premium that exists from a geopolitical perspective that has not been there for years. Yeah, yeah uh, well said. We're gonna, you're already discussing it and where exactly this ends, and, and especially even before the war with all the supply chain issues, people just thinking, should we just bring stuff back to our own nation, whether it's here or somewhere else? Ed, I spoke with some uh, government officials sort of off the record at the conference I was at in Houston and again on text last night with a few, and there is this sort of, I guess, I don't want to call it hope, that maybe one way out of this is for either a general or another politician in Moscow to effectively try to take control, have, have effectively a, a soft coup and say, we're now in charge. Putin is insane. We're in charge. We believe in peace. Let's bring the truth. Effectively take over the government from Putin. Is that something that you think would even be possible, given what we think is an ironclad grip on the nation? Brian, that was a debate that I've had, too. I don't think anyone knows is the honest answer. Um, I do think that these sanctions that have been put on, um, you know, were not expected to be this tough uh, by President Putin. Um, and so he's facing a tough choice. Uh, what we're going to see, though, is um, a economy in Russia that's in collapse historically. Wars, once you run out of your treasury, you don't have the ability to pursue this. So what I'm really watching here is how much are there relief valves available to Russia um, from China, from India, from other trading partners that they've traditionally had. If those relief valves continue to get shut off, that's more pressure on Putin to potentially take a deal, more pressure on the Russian economy yeah. and maybe pressure on individuals within Russia uh, to seek an alternative. And the longer this goes on, uh, the harder it is to see that kind of a way out because Ukrainians are going to go after the Russians as well. And now they're all over the nation. Ed Mills of Raymond James did some great work on the policy side. Ed, thank you. Have a good day. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Brian. All thank right, you. coming up. Imagine losing $900 million a day for 120 straight days. That has been basically the reality for Rivian shareholders who bought near the top and it 
make it worse if the market opens today for trading. We're going to get more ahead on Rivian's rough ride with Phil LeBeau. But as we head to break, some other key headlines happening right now. Saying a fuidize to European stocks, investors pulling out of European markets at their fastest pace on record. That according to a new report out of Bank of America. Domino's Pizza keeping its outlets in Russia open as other fast casual chains like McDonald's shutter. However, Domino's saying it is suspending royalty payments from any Russian restaurants and will limit further investment in that nation. And Janet Yellen tempering expectations. The tension between Russia and the West could boost Russia's relations with China. Speaking with CNBC, she says Beijing's ties with Wall Street and others are simply too important to count out. We're back after this. They care very deeply about their relationship with the U.S. and European financial systems, and um, they seem to be very cautious in their willingness to do business with uh, Russia. So conceivably, there could be some partial um, relief for Russia through that channel, but I don't think that anything will happen through uh, China, or at least I'm not seeing any evidence of it, that would significantly mitigate the crushing burden of what we've done. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a big Friday market flash for you right now. ADR shares of DD Global, the ride-sharing company, are dropping big time, down nearly 12% on a report the company is planning to halt its plans to list in Hong Kong. The Bloomberg report says this comes after Didi failed to appease Chinese regulators' demands. It was just three months ago that Didi announced that it would delist here in the United States and then go after a listing in Hong Kong. And now that Hong Kong listing may be at risk. What has been at risk is investor capital because that stock is down big. All right, speaking of that, let us talk now Rivian, maybe the stock of the day. Shares are slammed down about 11% also in the pre-market. But Rivian down 80% from its all-time highs in November. This follows fourth quarter results and continued production delays of its new electric trucks and SUVs. Phil Lebeau joining us now with more on why. And uh, Phil, we appreciate you coming on. It's a big story. Uh, what exactly is going on at Rivian? Well, the supply chain is the biggest issue for these guys right now, uh, Brian. When you take a look at shares of Rivian, and yes, they're under pressure again this morning. You mentioned down, what, more than 11 percent. That's because they basically said for 2022, we're going to build 25,000 vehicles. That's our expectation. The capacity, however, is for 50,000 vehicles. So they're not even going to they're basically going to do half of their ability in terms of vehicle uh, manufacturing this year because they're running into issues with the supply chain. And during the conference call last night, R.J. Scaringe said it's the semiconductors, it's the wiring harnesses, it's electronics. It's not everything, but it's enough that you're going to have to be slow in the ramp-up of production. Here's Scaringe also talking about the impact of the high price of nickel. Uh, the inflation that we've seen with nickel pricing very recently is short-lived. Um, but but the reality is that there's going to continue to be movements around commodity pricing uh, and it's going to be across a variety of commodities. Still waiting for nickel to start trading again on the London Metals Exchange, uh, briefly touching over one hundred thousand dollars per ton uh, on Tuesday. Hasn't really dropped a whole lot since then. There haven't been many contracts that have been traded. As you take a look at shares of Rivian, keep in mind that this is a company that has said they are going to be raising their prices 17 to 20 percent. 
And remember, they had the pricing snafu last week, Brian. They say that they, the people who canceled, yep. about half of them, then reestablished their orders. But they are trying to make adjustments because of the high cost of uh, commodities, including nickel. What are they doing for the base models? They will start going with lithium phosphate battery cells, which do not need nickel. Now, they don't charge as quickly. They don't have as great of range. They still have what what they're offering in terms of a base model. But that's what we're going to see. Not only have we seen it from them, we're seeing it from Tesla. Others, they're adjusting the chemistry of the battery cells because they're looking around and saying, we've got to be able to diversify uh, when something like this happens, like what we're seeing with nickel. I got to say that the car is spectacular looking. The SUV, it has been lauded, I think, as Motor Trend. Correct me if I'm wrong, Phil. Motor Trend's truck of the year. It's fast. Uh, It's sexy. The technology's cool. Uh, But is it possible that that lithium battery change is going to mean they've got to ratchet back some of their mileage estimates that they publicize? Well, on the base models, they still will be able to, with lithium phosphate, hit the uh, the targets that they've set out there. With the the higher battery pack, the the more extended range, if you will, they'll still use nickel for that. Uh, but that's the adjustment they've made. Instead of saying, look, we need nickel for every single battery cell in every battery pack in the future with the base models. That, and there are people who just want the base models, Brian. They will be able to say, okay, we're yep. going to go with the LFP battery cells, the lithium phosphate. I'm one of the dorks that still reads Car and Driver Physical Magazine, Phil, and I was on a plane the other day, and I read a report, and they loved the car, but they towed a, they towed a small trailer with it. They only got 108 miles to the charge. I just thought that was a little, a little concerning. Who knows? Uh, look, we're going to see this with all the all right. EVs, Brian. You know, when you start towing stuff or in cold weather, we're going to see people going, uh, not exactly what I expected. Yeah, and, you know, trucks can be used for towing things. Phil Lebeau, listen, we really appreciate you get up early, my friend. Uh, it's a big story. Phil, thank you very much. All right, On Deck, your weekly exclusive look at the biggest insider buys of the week, plus Emily Bowersock-Hill on what she's doing right now. Stick around. All right, time now for your weekly insider buying segment. We highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs with their own money. As always, the data from Insider Score Verity Platform with our appreciation. Here we go. Stock five, Wayfair, $1.2 million buy by a board member. His second seven-figure buy in three months. Number four, Crocs, a $1.23 million buy by the chairman and some other board members. Crocs, been tough, lost half their value in six months, so buying into a lot of weakness. Number three, Western Alliance Bank Corp, a nearly $2 million buy by the executive chairman. Shares down 32% from their 52-week highs. Second biggest insider buy, another shoe company, Skechers, a nearly $4 million buy by the president of that company. But the most insider buying this week is a lot bigger than that. And it's a name well-known to CNBC that is Continental Resources. Harold Hamm stepping up with a massive $19.9 million buy. By the way, buying into strength. Continental has nearly doubled in a year. So Harold clearly not scared off by stock being higher, stepping in with a gigantic buy. A reminder, we do this almost every Friday, except during earnings season. It is a segment you will see only here on WEX or on CNBC Pro. So sign up for CNBC Pro today. All right, why don't we wrap up this Opportunity Friday week with one of our favorite guests, Emily Hill of Bowersock Capital Partners. They are a partner with Sanctuary Wealth. Emily, welcome back to the program. Uh, 
Do you have a crystal ball right now? Because things seem so cloudy with inflation, Russia, COVID still, supply chains. I have no idea what's going to happen. I am sorry to disappoint you, but no, I don't have a crystal ball. And I don't think that we're going to get a lot of certainty anytime soon, unfortunately. So, do you want want to know what I think will happen? Yes, please. (laughs) Well, I think and I'm not alone in this, that Vladimir Putin committed one of the biggest strategic blunders in the last 100 years. And I think he's backed into a corner and I don't see a way for him to get himself out of that tight spot anytime soon. So I expect this volatility to continue. Um, But again, I don't think that I'm alone in that. Um, As you likely know, typically geopolitical events like this don't have a durable, long-standing impact on market prices. But in this case, the impact on commodities and the spiking oil prices are, you know, are problematic for economies across the world, uh, including ours, even though we have much more energy independence than we did back in, say, the 70s. So I think we're in for some continued... Yeah, we're paying five... Paying five bucks for natural gas, not thirty dollars yeah. equivalent like they are in, in Europe, going to everything from fertilizer prices to electricity costs. But here's the thing, Emily, we're talking about the Fed. They're going to probably raise rates. Uh, what is it next week? I think it's March 16th is when they're going to do it. They basically hit us over the head with that. But the government keeps blaming inflation on the war. So if the war is the reason for inflation, which we all know it's not really, at least not all of it, can the Fed do anything about any war related inflation? I The Fed's in a tight spot. The Fed's in a tight spot. I thought it was interesting that Chairman Powell came out and basically said that, you know, we're going to get a quarter point increase. And I and I think we're expecting now closer to four uh, rate rises than six, which we were expecting prior to this uh, to this war. But, yeah, they're walking a very fine line because this these we already had inflation, as you pointed out. And so this, these spiking oil prices have increased the risk, risk of stagflation, which is not an outcome that, that anybody wants. What would that mean for equities? If we had stagflation, would it change the Fed to become more loose, which we all know when they become more loose, stocks tend to go up? Do you think, in other words, Emily, that the bottom, I'm not saying the bottom is in, but is the bottom potentially close for the year or can this just kind of slog on for months and quarters? I think this will slog on, but I do think that part of this, you know, the impact of this conflict has been priced into the market. And I do think, as you point out, the upside here is that we are likely to get fewer rate increases than we would have otherwise. And so I think that's why you've had some of these big surges in the market, because we will likely have a, con- you know, a, a longer continuation of the liquidity that we've seen, which, as you know, has been driving uh, the market for the last year and a half. So, yes, there are certainly some silver linings. But I expect, you know, I don't I expect continued volatility now through the second or even the third quarter. And as you probably remember, we felt that. Yep. West markets were overpriced, coming very overpriced price coming into the end of the year. And we were expecting a rocky quarter or two. I think it's going to be more prolonged now. Yep. And I think in inflation, we know hard assets work. And I want to hear next time you're on, Emily, about raising chickens, because 
you know, maybe that's something we should all get into. The value of chickens and eggs has gone up as well. That could be a good investment. Emily Bowersock Hill, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Emily, by the way, and her family raised chickens on the website. I looked it up. All right. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm off for the next couple of days next week. I'll be back on Thursday, but we've got a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. Squawk of the gang. Pick it up the coverage next. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.